Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store. I love this job because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies and series and talk about them with my chummies that work here. Interesting people then also come into the store to rent something, and we have ourselves a fat chat. Each week, we can help you figure out what you could be watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas. All right, let's open up the shop. Did you see that thing yesterday on the TV? How's it, guys? Good morning. Morning. Top of the morning. <laughs> it is a nice, crisp day here yeah. in, a, in a winter's Johannesburg. Very warm inside the video store. It is nice and warm. <laughs> and uh, we're going to start our day here. We've got a whole bunch of uh, boxes which we need to get up on the shelves of all the films that we're watching. Um, and so we're going to get into that in a moment. Um, we are, are proudly celebrating one year yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. We realized that last week that um, we'd put out our first episode a year ago. Um, and so we had ourselves a lovely party over the weekend. Mm. We have this night that we put on at the Bioscope called The Video Store Presents. And because we were talking about the ridiculous live action Super Mario Brothers film, we put it on over the weekend and we had a whole bunch of people come out, watch the silly movie. We ate cake, <laughs> a lovely VHS cake that that uh, Cole made with his mom, <laughs> which was, was scrumptious. Um, and it was such a silly movie. I loved it. Yeah. I, I really loved watching it. And um, I can't wait for our next Video Store Presents Night. Something I want to mention now is that last uh, episode that we put out, I was very quick to thank each of you co-workers and, and sort of point out what just makes you so special and, and what really brings such magic to the show. The one thing I forgot to mention was that I really wanted to thank the listener. Mm. The patrons. Yeah. We have you know? seen no. um, these regular listener numbers grow with every episode. Um, we're hearing the feedback. We see you come out to things like the Video Store Presents Nights. And um, it's just so great because I think the joy of this is that we enjoy chatting. Yeah. I enjoy catching up with guests who are often friends. And it's just so cool that others are coming along and in, enjoying it. And we're doing this for them. Exactly. Um, and we want to, yeah, keep getting to know you, keep hearing from you. You're, you're customers. You're, you're people who we see every day yeah. at the video store. And we, we love you. And we just want to thank you for the support. Yeah, it's amazing. And if you are those people that enjoy talking about movies, come to the presents nights yeah yeah like we've had quite a few interesting characters show up and yes. made some really good friends that's that's the one way um exactly also just if you're not in joburg or you can't always come down on those nights like it's cool hearing from you so post on on the facebook group and on instagram we want to know what you're listening to yeah i mean listening to what you're watching <laughs> um and what you think of what we say you know, yeah, tell us if we have shit opinions. <laughs> like, <God. laughs> um, but yeah, let's just quickly uh, stock the shelves. What is what is in sort of coming soon? Well, actually, now showing, hmm. now showing on the now showing shelf, uh, we've got Asteroid City. Yes, yeah, which is the new Wes Anderson. Yep, 
which we will we will really get into. Um, for those of you who don't know who Wes Anderson is, he's a very famous filmmaker who's made a bunch of films and is very well known for his aesthetic, which is like a very uh, very well-crafted art-directed film. Mm. He's got a very, very particular, to the eye. very particular yeah. style, which you said, Graham, is a little bit like a. It's a diorama. It's like a diorama. Yeah. It's a sort of face-on, straight-on shots. Very quirky characters. Very quirky dialogue. Um, very yeah, very much like a, a, a hip, well-made uh, yeah. cortado cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Oatmeal Cortado of a, of a filmmaker. <laughs> a hipster at an art school in 2010 wearing flannel and a beanie. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so he's made this film, Asteroid City, which is currently in cinemas. We got a chance to watch it last week. Mm. So that was very cool to see it a- a- ahead of its release. Um, and so we're going to stock the shelves now. Then um, a little later on, um, we're going to have customers that will then come into the store, one of which is Millie. So uh, Melissa Tando Bongela is uh, a fabulous and interesting and smart person. Um, she's a writer. She, was, she wrote for Mail and Guardian. Um, she's super fashionable. So she's been in fashion for a lot of her life. And she's now made this film, which is a very important documentary, which she's named after herself, oh. Melissa Tando. And it is the opening night of the Encounters Film Festival, yeah. which as the bioscope is starting this weekend in the, the, the release of this episode this week. Um, and many of the screenings have sold out. Her film, just to give you an idea, when yeah. I put the, the tickets on sale for the bioscope's screenings of Encounters, I sort of, it felt like I just refreshed it like an hour or two later and her film had sold out. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. And um, it is so exciting. It's a very important film. So I'm looking forward to to her coming to visit because I think she's just got. Whenever I talk to her, there's just there's just a whole nother level and a whole nother way of looking at the world, especially South Africa. Mm. And I think it's an important chat. So so she's going to pop in in a moment. Um, but yeah, we watched Asteroid City. We'll we'll also talk a little bit more about some of the exciting, weird. Uh, TV shows coming up. There's a very bu- there's a whole bunch of real interesting stuff in the coming soon. Yeah, um, category. I think, like uh, in our new releases section, we've got Fubar, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger's new Netflix series. Yeah, and so I will get into that. Don't know how you feel about that, but mm-hmm. Arnie's back. But he's <laughs> he's back. Oh my god, I just realized um, it's it's a forty year payoff. Yeah, <laughs> but we've also got Extraction Two, which is the Crims Hemsworth. Crims Hemsworth action series uh, sequel to Extraction 1 which was supposedly a record-breaking Netflix movie. Oh, they say that about all their movies. Yeah. It's a bit like honking your own horn, Netflix. Um, And then, of course, there's a new Black Mirror episode. Black Mirror's returned after like a four-year hiatus. Wild. It's like crazy. So it's quite a big deal. Mm. We've got to watch the first episode. I've got two films for the new arrivals. Yeah. Cool. Um, the Space Between Us, which is this like super solid, very well made, very endearing, um, kind of near sci fi film, which is on Netflix. It's got Asa Butterfield, who was in Sex Education, but he was also Hugo. Yeah, mm. the little little boy in Hugo and the boy with the striped um, pajamas. Yeah. yeah, and then another great film which I watched this week is uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, which is a really great British film. Um, it's got Lily James in it. Um, also a nice sort of romantic 
romantic comedy. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I've done a little bit of that. Then, oh, something which I want to put in the favorites. Um, Okay. The the sort of all-time favorites is the film Closer. Right. uh, Which is Jude Law, Natalie Portman. I never watched that. Yeah, me neither. Oh, that was a good watch. And it's it's it was a play. It was a very well-made play first. And this is right. the film adaptation of it. And just uh, anyone who, who, who wants to really understand the subtlety of good writing, watch closer. It's, it's, it's adult, so it's certainly not for kids. I remember being Quite a lot of it is, is a little explicit, but it's just so well-written. Uh, I remember being like, like, I don't know how, when that came out, but like, I feel like it was 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. Mm. And very much into movies, like uh, the big yes. releases and yeah. going to all the big releases and then seeing this film with all actors that I knew from the movies that I yeah. liked and then being like, that's weird. What is, <laughs> it, looks, it looks like a, a, a movie for adults. It very much I'm is. Gonna, I, I was, <laughs> but I was curious to watch it, but then I felt like it was strange and weird and I didn't know how to process that, so I just never watched it. Yeah, so that's one for the favorite shelf. Um, but yeah, let's let's get into it because we got ourselves a busy day. Mm-hmm. Uh, one little mention at this point is our good friends at Duas Wine. Of yeah. course, <laughs> they uh, f- these guys are friends of ours. Have started this incredible wine company. I implore you to go and uh, watch the adverts that they've made because they're very funny dudes. But basically, they've got this good quality wine that they box uh, in these brown um wine boxes it's a very cool design um but it's good quality wine and um and you can order it online um if you head over to doers.wine you can use our promo code which is video store 10 to get 10 percent off your order of really good wine that is in a box uh the other thing i want to mention now please is that encounters is 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 here <laughs> it is starting uh, this weekend at the bioscope um, with the week that we're releasing this episode in and tickets are available at thebioscope.co.za for all the encounters screenings that are taking place at the Bioscope, many of which have sold out, but there is still space in, in other ones. Can you give us a back of the box on Encounters? Encounters is a documentary film festival. It's arguably the biggest highlight in the Bioscope's calendar. It usually always happens at the end of June, which is really great for me as a business because it's the it's the kind of uh, colder time of the year. So yeah. it's lovely to get the Bioscope cozy and, and packed in the in this time but it's documentary so it's south african and international documentaries world-class stuff um ranging a whole range of issues like there is some stuff about the russian ukrainian war interesting of like really interesting documentaries there's one called um i forget how many days it's 20 days in maripol so it's like right the start of the war is told by um, these filmmakers there's lots of south african stuff including millie's film hmm. um no, it's 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 great. Um, it's like I feel right now. This is the calm before the storm. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. And how many years have you been doing the encounters? We we've, we've done it literally ever since we started. So that's now thirteen years. Wow. Literally, yeah. apart from the pandemic year. Yes. Um, the twenty twenties, but um, it came a month or two after we opened our doors back in twenty ten, and it gave us the most perfect audience within two months of existing. It's like, imagine starting your business, whatever your business is, with a very niche, quite niche audience and the perfect audience arriving like a month later. Mm. Oh my God. And and the Bioscope turned its profit in month two. It was very <laughs> exciting. And we very much have the Encounters Film Festival to thank because cool. the year Incredible. before, 
they um, couldn't find a venue in Joburg. Maybe the festival wasn't going to uh, come up. Okay. It's, it's operated out of Cape Town. Mm. And and the moment we existed back in 2010, they were like, oh, you, you guys are perfect. And so we hosted it. And every year we've hosted it. Nice. So it's exciting that it comes back. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, should we get into it? Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. This is Millie Satundo popping in to read something. Okay. <laughs> Look, we've grown up. Look How's at us. it? Oh, hi, hi, Russell. How are you? <laughs> what a nice way of starting it. Look, we've grown up. We've grown up. Yeah. We, I remember I was there at the beginning of this whole thing. Yeah. 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 Wait, did you ever live in Mabuning? No, no. Okay. I just spent a lot of time there because I had friends who lived there. Yeah. Yeah. And I was very much part of that early bioscope uh, crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel that way too. And I was. You know, knowing we were now going to chat together, I was wondering where those like sort of more tangible touch points were that we spent time, but we didn't. I can't remember. We were just we were just friends. We just sort of knew each other. Yeah. There was a group of us that I think really wanted Mabuneng to work yes, as an yes. idea, and we wanted to be free downtown to go about our lives, yeah, and do stuff. I remember being. I remember. Y- y- coming to view an apartment with a friend of mine. I was viewing the apartment on behalf of a friend of mine who was overseas and you were showing them on Skype. Okay. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. So did I show you around the apartment? You showed me around the apartment for a friend of mine who was overseas. And that's the first time that I met you. And this is before you opened the bioscope. And very soon after that, I remember writing an article for the Mail and Guardian about Maboneng, about this new place. Yeah, um, and I think interviewing you or That's Jonathan it. or That's someone. That's it. This is and where then it started. It did become a thing at yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted to perhaps start with because on the in the week that this episode's gonna come out, you have a film that is going to open the Encounters Film Festival. You've got screenings that have sold out. That's crazy. You've got a whole bunch of things coming. So that's the point where we're at now. But I wanted to just quickly go back for a little bit. Um, I know you as a writer. Yeah. Is that is that what it's kind of always been? What What do you see yourself as? Pre, yes. Pre-film. I, I've, I've always been a writer since I was a child. Um, and then I studied journalism at Rhodes. Um, but decided not to, fo- to to pursue writing immediately after school. I went to, I, I got a job in fashion okay. um, as a fashion assistant at Cosmopolitan magazine back in 2006. Okay, because um, I've always very much considered you to be a very fashionable and stylish person, <laughs> yeah. just so you know. <laughs> I get it from my mom, you know, I get it from the ladies of the trans guy, people I grew up around, they took, very, they took dressing up very seriously. And yeah. so I kind of had no choice. Um, and then the writing I got from my father, and I was always kind of a girl about town. I left Cape Town and I got to Joburg and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to still work in fashion. So I had a pop-up store um, where I was selling South African designer clothing, um, more ready to wear designer clothing because I'd, I'd seen how cool the clothes were in Cape Town. And so I was like, let me try bring these clothes to, to Joburg. And so I called a couple of my designer friends back in Cape Town and I had a pop-up oh, shop. What was that? Market on Main. Oh, right. <laughs> on Sundays, oh. I would I had a pop-up store at Market on Main. And then I also would go to Parktown North, outside the Woolworths. There was a market there on Saturdays. Mm. And then I also took it to different places, wherever there was a market. Like, I remember going to St. Stithians. I remember going to Alex 
for at, at this a place called Ne. It was kind of a, a roving, and sometimes I would have it at my apartment in Ilova, oh, cool. um, once a month on a Thursday while I was writing, while I was consulting for Woolies at the time. Um, kind of just doing a bit of this and that. And I also had a job at a record label, um, Outrageous Records, which was part of Black Rage, where a lot of young creative people kind of um, first started out. Um, yeah. Today's writers and, you know, um, filmmakers and even musicians, a lot of people kind of came through Black Rage, which was Zeno, Maria and, and Tuli, who started that back okay. then. And then I worked at The Mailing Guardian. Yeah, I remember, I think we were involved in something we were in the mail and guardian offices and i remember seeing you and yeah. being like okay cool you're here now like that's cool yeah that's when i decided to get a real job and you had like a column hey i first had a column in the mail and guardian as early as 2010 yeah um of writing that i will never revisit because yeah. <laughs> i can't i can't oh, I, revisit like to, never. to read I'll, them I'll again never. i i am mortified at some of the things i used to say and think and I kind of had this kind of public transformation. And I had a blog, if you remember. This was yes. kind of my mainstay. The blog was kind of the nexus point of everything that I did. Yeah. Um, and I, I, there was never in my mind, I never imagined I'd ever follow, do film. I always loved films, but yeah. I never, ever thought I'd, I'd make a film. And it was around 2014 when I was blogging and I had a, an idea to you know, talk about the subject of black hair and black women and our identities and racism and white supremacy and how it affects the ways in which we, um, all of us actually, um, understand our own beauty and our own attractiveness. And I wanted it to be a five-minute video just about that. Okay. And I don't know why. I interviewed eight of my friends at the time, yeah. people like Nandi Zepu, um, Lebohang Masango, Joey Kuvutlu, you know, people who have made th things of themselves yeah. um, in, in, our, in our generation. And I remember, yeah, I had these long interviews with them in a the studio um, that Chris Saunders had organized and, yeah. and helped set up for me. Nice. And I had a guy called Debo Khopalane come and film for free. And it was just really a, a, a homemade situation. Like, yeah. a, And watching those interviews back, I knew that it was much bigger than a, a five-minute blog. And so I was like, I remember going home and Googling, how do you make a documentary? Yeah. And I <laughs> so got this into... So this is back as 2014? This, is to, this was when the idea f first kind of came to me. Yeah, okay. 2014. And I'm a writer, so I was leaning... At first, I leaned towards, you know, making it a book. And I was like, but what about the imagery? How am I going to... And I was doing all this research, and there were so many incredible images that I was encountering of, like, African hairstyles and the history of African hair and the transatlantic slave trade and what happens to our hair when it goes when, when when African people went to South America versus North America what was happening in Egypt what was happening here I just got very deep into the research okay. and in that moment the film itself actually came to me um, and said I'm I want to be a film I don't want to be a book and I was like but I don't know how to make films <laughs> and the film was like don't worry I'll sure. take care of you um, well okay two points the one is um, at this point, it's worth mentioning to people that people think a documentary isn't written, but it very much is. Oh my gosh, yeah. Totally. And so much so that an actual script gets written. And sure, in those moments, perhaps the subject says something different or, you know, real life things could derail or change your plan. But you learn in film school, you very much have to have a plan. You very much have to have a script Yeah. where this is how I want to portray someone or this is how I would wish this documentary to end. 
So, it so makes, I tried that. It makes sense that you were approaching it like a writer. Yeah. But the other thing I want to mention now is that fast forward to, to right now, 2023, with this film, um, from what it seems, and of course I just said to you now that the documentaries have only just arrived um, ahead of the festival, so I haven't had a chance to watch your film yet. But it seems as if this film is not about hair. It's about... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's evolved. So... <laughs> mm. so, so Perhaps let's just talk a little bit about the film itself. It's named after you. Yes. Lisa Tundo, it's about you. Yes. Is that right? Well, no, it's not really about me, but okay. it uses my life and my biographical tra trajectory, right? the, the story of my life, as a way to look at South African history. Okay. Um, um, it's a personal essay documentary. And so I'm using my own body, my own history, my own, you know, real people in my life to kind of look at um, issues that we're all dealing with in our country as it relates to race and the history of racialization and being racialized, um, colonialism, apartheid, and it's really, and, and the homeland system, um, yeah. the Bantustans, yeah. because I came from a Bantustan, but I didn't really understand what that was until I was much older. And when I went back to research i was like wait a minute why haven't we been really told i mean we have a we have a very basic sense of what homelands are yeah. um but as people from from the homelands i think that there are many experiences of apartheid that we had that don't feel legitimate enough to um put into the public canon or the public discourse because they complicate the narratives of apartheid things were not as simple as they seemed sure um I, for instance, came from a middle-class family, mm -hmm. and you know, um, you know, there were many middle-class uh, Kosa people. Um, there were Ghanaians, there were Ugandans, and there's nothing that explains the presence of so many Ghanaians and Ugandans in the trans guy. Um, and and the, and uh, unless you look into it and and how they arrived there, and you'll find that oh, there was a system that um, kind of imported Ugandans and, and Ghanaians at a particular time because there was um, a little bit of a white flight when the trans guy was um, established in 1976 as a quote-unquote official independent state by the apartheid regime in collaboration with the black leaders of the trans guy. Oh, wow. And so... Um, there's a lot to uh, there's, learn. There's, there's a lot to learn. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of the archive that we were encountering as we were editing and, and writing the film was just completely contradictory to what we had been taught in school what one understood as apartheid because yeah. here were these tables where these men white men black men are shaking hands they're eating custard together in like 1976 yeah. so we have the the the, the youth story that the 1976 soweto uprising story as like the main thing that happened in that year and yet a few months down the line the trans guy became an independent state and there was like choirs of like you know black people and white people singing closer songs talking about this land there were you know there were articles in the new york times it was wild and so i was like so what is what is this place and then you find that the trans guy was the first but then Botswana follows and venda and i know because i've got family that lived there and it was always interesting to me growing up going like this is another country it's How? another it's a yeah you it's know? like another place and it's kind of it's, I didn't it's know split that that down the middle with the trans guy it started with the trans guy. The trans guy was kind of the, the, the guinea pig state. Um, 
in 76 and then in 77, I think Mangope was like, hey, look, something's going on over there that allows black people to have another experience of this where white people don't have to be the center of our lives. They don't have to tell us what to do. We're not engaging them on a daily basis. There are no whites only benches and beaches here. Yeah. Um, and I kind of grew up in that environment and apartheid became a reality when it ended. This word started to enter my consciousness when I was like seven, eight years old. Five years old, Mandela, I, I was five when Mandela came out of jail. Yeah. And I didn't know what that was about. I remember going into the street with my parents yeah. and being part of this, you know, jubilant doi doi, but not really understanding what this is about. Sure. Um, and then only when we moved into a white neighborhood in 1993 or 1992, actually, did I encounter this idea of that I'm black or that or that yeah. there's white people and they don't like us and they keep doing funny things. But they, I had no reference point for what, yeah. what, what this funny thing comes, why these funny things are happening or where they come wow. from. And so the, the film really much is an exploration of how one becomes racialized using this idea of my own life, but the story of, of, of coming from a homeland. And then where we are today with race um, as the first generation of of. of of people in South Africa, kids, you know, who were integrated yeah. um, at a mass scale. I mean, I know there were private schools in, in the 80s where black people, sure. few black people would go in like KZN and the Eastern Cape and stuff like that. But mostly the Model C system yeah. and how, you I, know. I, I was a part of that Model C. And, yeah, and my, and you, yeah. my best chummy uh, was um, a black dude who in grade one was the first South African black kid no to ways. be in that school so no like ways. literally from my start i was part of that and so exactly I, it's, it's really the story about that generation and what actually happened at those schools at a at an intimate level between black kids and white kids yeah. what happened to the friendships that were formed because you find that when we're young and small it's all fine we're all playing together yes you know the white kids will say some racist things like mm, yeah. uh, you know we're not going to touch your hair or it's gross or whatever and we're the teachers jokes. also do some you know there were jokes that surrounded me as a as a white kid growing up and you sort of you even found yourself like telling them because you were just a little kid you didn't really think about it then there was a point where you're like oh no Jesus, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah, but then... <laughs> then you hear that now from someone at a casual bri um, or some scenario where that person sort of says it and you're like, oh God, it just doesn't sit at all. And you're like, are you still making that kind of joke? Like, And I mean, it's, it's, a, it's ooh, a joke it's, in one, in one, on one hand to some people. But it lasts for us. It's like totally. for the people who no, no. grow up having to be the butt of the joke or at the receiving end. Yeah. I mean, when I got to my school in 1995 in East London, a girls' school, the, at the tuck shop, the sweets that they sold were called nigger balls. Yeah, yeah. Remember those? Yeah, I grew up with those. Yeah, we all did, didn't we? Yeah. And so it's things like that, that wait a minute, if we go back, what are the... How did how was the space organized? How was language organized? How are things? Yeah. How, what were black kids entering? Yeah, yeah. You know, no, what and were, any meeny miny mo catcher. You see, I had things that as like a that. little kid, and then then there was a point where it's like, okay, now we've changed it, and I remember going, good, makes know, sense. It's, it's, but but it was one of those like, oh no, but but that was what was said. I understand, but then the damage that yeah. that does psychologically totally. to and it and it seems benign and it seems innocent. Oh, it's just a game, but this this is exactly how no, no. racism and sexism and all of these things. This is exactly how they enter into our consciousness as as young people. Yeah. And so the film very much looks at that psychic wounding 
Um, and also, you know, really kind of tackles the, the where where are we 20 years later, 30 years later mm. with our white friends? What does it mean to have white friends? Mm. Is that a thing that one should pursue, one can pursue? What are white people holding that they in their mouths that they feel like they can't say? Yeah. Um, and really, what is it that we are supposed to do with this country that we've inherited? And also this, you know, the, the posture that the, 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 the leaders of the, you know, the, the anti-apartheid struggle took. Yeah. How do we carry that? And what is the price that we had to pay to be that, that first generation to integrate? And it's full of questions and, and not very many answers. It's kind of very cont contemplative. Um, and the reason that it's called after me is not because I'm vain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if my name was Russell, the film wouldn't be called Russell. It's because of the meaning of my name. Uh, okay. Yes, yes. Which um, my parents made up when I was a few days old. Um, which can be interpreted in many ways, but the way that I've, I've, I'm using it in relation to the film is, my name is Milusu Tando um, Nokolo, which is kind of, uh, I'm the bearer of love and peace okay. where there is none. And so what does it mean to walk around with this name, yeah. um, which is an instruction essentially from my parents and my ancestors, that this is my purpose on earth. Whatever I do, I have to uphold the meaning of this name. So what does it mean to look at this history, to, to open up the, the as James Kutsia says, the coffin of apartheid and exhume it, yeah. to say what was this thing? Um, because all of you know the things that these systems propagate for these these not these ideologies they live in us they live in our parents our grandparents yeah. our aunties our loved ones yeah. and they are i feel like they're walking embodiments and, and representations of those things because you know you give someone a few beers and eventually they'll they'll something some some kind of truth or the, some, some yeah. belief that they probably can't tell every single day yeah. or express comes out and so it's very much an exhumation of, of history through you know, our relationships and yeah. who we are as people. Um, but it's also a, a love letter to this place and what it means to come from this place and how... Trans guy specifically? Mm, Just South Africa? South Africa. South yeah. Africa. Because trans guy is part of South Africa. Even totally, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and all these and all, all of these layered histories. It's I'm um, asking audiences to go back um, before we can kind of... I know we had to at some point in order to get to where we are today, kind of... We put our hand in, head in the sand and say, oh, we, we can't really process this horrible history that's happened. But I think we've had one generation now where yeah. I think we're ready to go back. And well, the one thing I've come to learn more so now as I feel like I'm heading more into adult grown-upness is, is really kind of coming to terms with the idea of saying something systemic and sort of how that, what that term actually means. And it's not just a phrase to sort of, you know, you know, pass around. These were very calculated, put together structures that, you know, took decades to create, even longer, obviously, in, in everyone's different ways. And you just really learn that one has to dismantle that. It's And that's not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. That might take a whole generation. But just something small like, you know, uh, this is one example, for example, which is, we're almost at 100 years of the Oscars. So you can almost see that as a pie chart. And you can look at the best director specifically. And um, we've had uh, two women, one being a woman of color. But there, as far as I, I'm, I've checked this, but there is not a black director. We haven't had a black best director. Yes, it wasn't Ava uh, Um no. With what? 
When was with, that? Um, the movie that she made about Martin Luther King and walking over that bridge with the people. Uh, um, no. It didn't win Best Director. Like Spike Lee and some of the, They've won these other kind of Oscars, but there hasn't been a black Best Director. No ways. Even Barry Jenkins. Nope. What? Like Moonlight won as a film, but yeah. not him as the director. It's just interesting. And it just shows and the that says a lot. That says a lot of it. I that, think that's really interesting because it's impossible that you know you, the, the the idea of a black director doesn't exist. That's ridiculous. Of course, it's if if we were all kind of on the on an equal footing and we all had the, an equal starting line and access to well, that's the this thing, technology. Is that, is that when you talk about the system, it's it's about how difficult it is to be and make your way and. Because yeah. you don't just you don't just get handed the director chair. Of course, you know you've got to work your way up. You've got to be allowed. You've got to be a part of all these things. Um, but wild. Um, okay, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, obviously, it's just nice to to just get a fuller picture of of your film. And I think it's so great to to recognize the fact that right now in 2023, we can exhume some things, we can rehash, we can bring more things to the light, and people are wanting to to watch it we yeah. we we um put all the films up for the bioscopes program we're of course one of um one or two sites in in joburg and within a few hours um i checked back and yours had sold out that's crazy it was just so lovely and i just i've said this so many times that the audience especially the bioscope audience is a very smart audience they yeah. know they've sniffed out I mean, what, south africans are smart yeah and and especially when it comes to these kinds of things they've sniffed out they know they've heard they there's there's a there's, a, there's a, something in the air there's a buzz whatever it is and so it was just so great and yeah. i was so happy for you in that know, moment it's, so, it's like it's so um, it took such a long time to call myself a filmmaker it's only like maybe last year or yeah, okay. maybe last so, year that I came, I became comfortable with that idea. It's nice that there obviously is so much more being spoken about and that it's not solely about you because one of my questions I was going to ask is what, what, what else do you do after you've made something so deeply personal? Like, can there be other films in you? <laughs> but um, by the sounds of it, there, there's Oh my gosh, there's, are, there's, yeah. there's many. There's shorts, there's features. There's, I'm right now kind of scribbling um, a, a script there's a lot that we couldn't put into think, the film because obviously we took almost we took like almost nine years to make the film. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's a lot that didn't make it into it into the film, and there's you know so many could be different forms. You know, could, there's a whole yeah. seat, seat, a whole dinner discussion that could just be a short. I think you um, coming from it as a writer means that there can just be so much more. Yeah. Because that's the that's the origin of it all, you know. But first, I want I think I want to rest. I have really been, yes. I've worked so, so, let's, so 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 hard. Let's talk about that specifically. Some of the exciting travels that you've done. Yeah. Because this film, um, did it premiere at Sundance? Yes, it had its world premiere at Sundance. And the, Sundance is the up in the mountains. That's Utah, right? Yes, it's in Park City, in what Utah. What was that like? Extremely cold. <laughs> Extremely cold. So I went with my with my team. I went with my uh, producer Marion Isaacs and uh, Hank Yul Lee, and um, a co-producer from Colombia, Viviana Gomez. Um, the other one, Sonia, couldn't make it because because she didn't have a U.S. visa. And we have two executive producers in in the U.S. Um, Anya Rouse and Jessica Devaney, and another EP, Charlotte Cook, who is um, at Field of Vision. Okay. Um, and another one, Brenda Robinson. So we we all met 
um, in Park City. It was extremely expensive to get there. There it's were a like lot a, of favors. Utah, hey? Utah, which is in the yeah. northwest of America, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. it's kind of where the Mormon it's the Mormon state. Um, close to Salt Lake City, yeah. Yes, it's very close mm. to Salt Lake City. It's a much smaller city. It's kind of more, it's in the mountains. It's a ski resort town, um, and um, Robert Redford has his uh, ski resort there. The Sundance I means he, yeah. he he started Sundance there yeah. in forty years ago. And there's the resort, and there's the institute, and so. Was it? Was there some nice networking? There was incredible networking. The last screening was actually at the Sundance Resort, which is this very fancy place. Like yeah. we got driven in these very like intergalactic cars. Me and Hanky were there, and we had our last screening in what someone there told us is Robert Redford's personal screening room. Okay. Um, and we met with a group of people from um, Mass Mocha in the US who who are kind of who, who are the funders behind Mass Mocha. What's um, Mass Mocha? It's a museum. Um, it's the it's the museum of it's museum of contemporary art in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you look it up on Instagram, it's yeah, quite a prestigious cool. institution. Lovely. And they had invited us. Uh, they they had twenty members of their team, or fifteen or twenty members of their team, come to watch the film, which was the final screening. So we had four screenings. Okay. Um, the last one was there, and that one. And then we had a dinner afterwards, and we really mm -hmm. did get to network with. I was like, where am I? What is my life right now? That's so and um, also had screenings at the Egyptian. And uh, got to hang out with people, you know, at parties because there were these industry after parties. Our sales yeah. agents in the U.S. are cinetic media, and uh, they had a big party and ended up at this Did party with like other filmmakers. Um, and then we kind of m went to someone's hotel room and stayed till five in the morning. And kind of that's really where the networking happens. Totally. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in, in those the, kinds it's of spaces. In the bars and it's in so, those, those rooms after. So on one hours. hand, it it kind of looks glamorous, but on the other. It was very expensive. By the time we finished making the film, we were totally broke. We'd run out of money. I got a loan to, in order to survive, you know, to kind of make the film. I've had to move out of my apartment um, because I can't afford to pay the rent because the film hasn't sold. I literally put every egg in that basket. Yeah. And on one hand, it looks glamorous and we really are exposed to, the, you know, the highest echelons of... Um, every any any every space that a filmmaker would want to be, and you know, going to Sundance, being represented by Cinetic, which was started by John Sloss, you know, um, who you know all the the Richard Linklater movies, the the, yeah, the trilogies, yeah, yeah. Little Miss Sunshine, Moonlight, those films were being sold by the same company, you know, yeah. and going to to MoMA, you know, getting into new directors, new films was massive, and you know, screening the film at the Lincoln Center, in right next to Juilliard in New York, like going to New York, uh, not just as a random tourist, but like going there with a the film and being completely welcomed yeah. into these spaces and being taken seriously as an artist, and like screening the film at the Museum of Modern Art, like what? That oh, is insane. Like I'm who, getting like goosebumps I, who, Little old me from Ekuwa, you know, yeah, like yeah. who would have thought? And so so there's this there's been this incredible trajectory and reception overseas, which I've really I'm like I'm I'm mind blown. We're all mind blown yeah. by but it's because we did take a long time to craft, you know? Yeah. And and I so we, we yeah, it started out in Sundance and then went to different festivals in, in different states in the US. Like there's one in Missouri have, called Have Truth you seen Falls. much of the States before this? Yes, yes, yes. I okay. think my, my work as a writer had already taken me around that country. Okay. Um, yeah. um, and so I wasn't new to it, mm. but I was new to it in this, in, in this field. I'd yeah. never really traveled to, to as a as a as a filmmaker yeah. with a with a project. And yeah. the, the idea at the beginning was obviously the the dream 
was to bring me and Marion and Hanky, um, the two people really who we all created this film together, so that we could all experience that together. But because of budgetary issues, we just we couldn't afford Where to. Where are they based? In Joburg, yeah, they're okay. here in Joburg. Um, okay. And we were working from, uh, we had an office in Dornfontein. Okay. Um, and then during the pandemic, we just moved to my apartment. And so we kind of edited the film in my apartment. And, and so now, knowing that so much was put out on the line, like, are you clawing back some of that? Is that... Is that um, in terms of the prestige, and I'll see in South Africa, actually. This is the, so, so for five, five months, I was traveling um, to different parts of, of the world, showing the film at different festivals, which, as you know, um, festivals don't really make money. They aren't really about money. You sure. kind of go there. You don't really get paid to be there as the, as the artist and the filmmaker because they themselves are kind of struggling, especially documentary festivals. Mm. So, for instance, you know, Sundance, you don't, you don't get paid to be there. You have to pay to be there, and it's yeah, extremely sure. expensive to get ba- there. The band to- world is the same. You, you might get a slot at a, at a more sort of showcase based um, festival, but, yeah, no, it's all on your dime. It's all on your dime because you're like, well, actually, the exposure is, is kind of worth it, but you can't eat exposure. At the end of the day, you have you, have you since managed to sell it? No, not yet. Okay. Um, not yet. Uh, so we have a sales agent in North America, and I'm currently looking for one in, in South Africa. But I want to see what happens when the film comes out in Cape Town and yeah, Joburg yeah. Um, at, at these festivals if, if there'll be any local distributors that'll pick it up. I mean, it's not the easiest kind of sit back and relax, it's not entertainment, yeah, sure. It's not an entertaining documentary. Um, it's captivating. I've also, you know seen it in different institutional and museum spaces and yeah. that's kind of where it really makes sense yeah. where people are already kind of talking about these things at a high level it's an artifact that's going to that's going to stay forever it's really exciting it's not going to just be this mcdonald's burger that just gets eaten and yeah defecated out like it's going to be it's going to be on a mantle it's really exciting that you've made something like that thank you it's it's and th- and it's really exciting when you think like okay this is going to live forever it's amazing, right? <laughs> it's amazing. Well, this especially is especially these kinds of films. You know, these are the kinds of films that that go into like the libraries in a good way. I mean, my dream is to be in Criterion. It's yeah, to be part of the Criterion collection over there, and um, here as part of um, to be in, in universities. To, yeah, to and now all, to be. now all you pray for is that a a new South Africa will treasure those things. And look after and archive well yes. and celebrate well and and reward these kinds of stories that do get created. Yeah, you know, we're really hoping that um, this will be a clarion call for this idea of South African cinema, contemporary South African cinema. We have movies, we have films that we've made in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. But I, I, I don't really get a sense of what is our cinematic language. Like when you think of West Africans and West African cinema, you get a very clear picture of who mm. West Africans are because of their films, because of watching their films. The same can be said for North Africans, the same can be said for Americans, French people, Japanese. I kind yeah, of feel sure. like Italians, I know who the Italians are because there's, there's many Italian filmmakers who have introduced it, Italianness. To, yeah. to the world, Spanish filmmakers. Yeah. And here, because of our history and because of this disparity in terms of access to um, you know, the technology of cinema and who, who, who was allowed to be behind the camera and who was in front of it, yeah, totally. I think that, and especially because we were a British colony, like unlike the French, um, the British didn't really invest in the arts in the same way that the, the French did in, in, because they were trying to make their subjects as French as possible. Yeah. And so there is like this cultural 
weight that they placed on the importance of of, of funding filmmakers. Well, the French Whereas, just in general focus on that, where perhaps Britain, you know, was was focused on trading and well, fucking, I don't, we don't yeah. have to dissect. Yeah, yeah. but but no, it and you know. It's both what's exciting and both difficult about South Africa and the fact that we are just so many different things where the Japanese, for better or for worse, are v- all I mean, Japanese are very Japanese. They are very Japanese. You just got to stand in Shinjuku Station to know that, like, you know, exactly. they're, all, they're all kind of in one hive where we've got so and many. And West Africans. Yeah. And, it, and, and yeah, there's more there's cultures that are more homogenous than ours. The Spanish ours. don't even try and speak English. Exactly. <laughs> when you exactly. visit Spain, you get no help. There's nothing that's true. There, there'll be a whole library that'll be that'll be 100 Spanish. It's funny yeah. And they, here, obviously, we have this incredible diversity, um, which comes from this very difficult history. But I'm still kind of, I still don't get as much of a sense of like, okay, in 50 years' time, what are we going to say is South African cinema? Yeah. We no, have we have lots of movies, and I feel like, you know. Films like Jeremiah Moses's um, "This Is Not a Burial," films like mm. um, Ingleba, yeah. um, you know, films that have come out of this part of the world. I mean, Jeremiah, I know he's from Lesotho and lives in in Germany, but in the, in terms of like you know cinema, I'm very interested in what's gonna come of this place. Like, mm. you know, I know there's the mainstream stuff where you know the the crime thrillers yeah, and sure. whatever that those exist and the rom coms and stuff like that. Um, and of course, we know that there were films that were made in the 90s um, by filmmakers like Akino Matoso, Kalo yeah. um, Matabane, um, all of these people. But where's that canon? How do you access those films? Totally. Where where are they? So that so that it doesn't feel when people are making films now that we have to start from scratch or like you've got to know someone who knows someone who might have the film. Yeah. Like we it, when you were talking about archiving, like I don't think that we've really archived. Um, even in the in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, films were being made here, but we don't really know the the names. They're not we're not familiar with sure, them. Sure. So and I know that there was a, a, a filmmaker. Stuck called uh, Lionel Ngagane, who in the 1960s was a black South African filmmaker, a black man who made two films in, in, in England. It was so hard to get his films. I only got one. Um, that It's a short film and it was beautiful. Um, and it was about race, but it followed these two children around London. But in terms of like h- how many directors and filmmakers and, and, and cinematographers were coming out of West Africa in, in the 60s and North Africa, like people like Med Hondo and stuff, Compared to, compared to here, who who are sure. those people? Yeah. And so w- w- there also seems to be kind of a dearth of people to reference as black women filmmakers also. Um, I know of Safifé, but I don't I haven't seen her films because who, who, who can access Safifé's films today? Show me that person. I mean, I know one. I've, I met them in New York and they've actually got some of her films, um, but it was hard to access them. I know is, Sarah who, who is she? She's a Senegalese filmmaker and she made a film called Musane, which I've read about and I want to watch, but I can't actually access. Oh, wow. um, there's, I mean, I, I love the, the African women uh, directors that I've, whose work I've, I've followed and I've loved. There's one in uh, Tunisia called uh, Mufida Tlatli and she made one of my favorite, you know, films. My favorite genre of films is coming of age stories about sure. girls. Girls and families, girls and their mothers. Girls. Yeah. Um, so she made a film called The Silences of the Palace, which was just stunning. I think it's like made in '94 or something. And Mosane was made, I think, in the in the '90s, but yeah. we can't access it. Then there's Sarah Maldoro. Have you checked was, out Mubi? Do you know about Mubi? Yes, I know about Mubi. I joined Mubi when it first came, 
But I found that it's a little bit cumbersome. No, no, definitely. I've I've also. It's a little bit cumbersome to use, actually. Just because that's the one streaming platform one doesn't sort of talk too much about, which is this slightly more world cinema, art house cinema. Um, streaming platform, but okay, so it's not even there. The problem with movies is that you you'll go on there and you'll search at film and you find it, and then you you actually can't watch it. You just see the poster and you see who made it, you see who's acted in it. This is geolocked, and this is the one of the main problems oh, is that because we're in, on the continent, we actually don't have enough access to different types of cinema from different. I mean, we've I'm sorry, but we VPN like the Criterion Channel. No, sure, it's the way it's to like, do it. We, spoke, do, we, we yeah. speak about it on the video store where it's like. Guess you got to find it out in the seas because it's kind of out yeah. there. But yeah, you 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 often have to sort of almost be an archaeologist yeah. to, to find these films. They they and that's a tragedy. Buried in some that, that's, cases. that's a tragedy because it means that the, a, re- a regular person trying to see what what lives outside of Netflix and what out, what's out yeah. of you know Showmax or um, Zanzi Magic or whatever. How do they know of of all yeah. these filmmakers from from Japan, for instance? If yeah. we you know, or filmmakers from Spain or like yeah. Mexico, if they don't have access to them, and this is yeah. one of the main problems of being on the continent is that we've been geologued from so much of the stuff. Maybe 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 just to sort of work our way out of this conversation is like maybe in some ways the streaming platforms are helping to some degree. I know that the the, the gems are perhaps still out there, still lost mm-hmm. ones that we might not even know are gems or are there. But um, it was cool to see the Showmaxes sort of gather some of the stuff the Bioscope screened over the years, which would have otherwise been lost. I mean, yeah, because we, they we need have Showmax. Been in video stores. We do need Showmax, and I know that Mnet and, and MultiChoice also have a huge archive of African films. So maybe, maybe this is the start of it, and, and now these, you know, in streaming, it's one of the more cost-effective ways that perhaps some of these films can see the light of day. Um, but yeah. but yeah, listen. If you find ways, I mean, we're one little venue, but you know, it'd be great to do some screenings of these films that we if we can find them. But just so just know along your along your merry travels, yeah, <laughs> as you go out into the world, the Bioscope could hopefully maybe try and screen some of them. But we'll we'll keep in touch on yes. on, on doing that. Um, what are some of your other coming of age films that you've loved? Oh my God, so many. Um, obviously, Moonlight is one of them. I mean, I love Barry Jenkins. I love everything he does. Yeah. Um, one Sings, The Other Doesn't, the film by Agnes Varda. Um, as I said, The Silences of the Palace. One of my favorite movies is called Peppermint Soda. Okay. And it's a French movie by a French director called uh, Diane Curis. Okay. And she made the film, I think, in 1977 about these two French sisters. It is utterly delightful. That was one of the... F- First, oh, but my very first movie that I absolutely fell in love with. My sisters and I were obsessed with a movie called Mermaids. Sure, remember Mermaids? We screen it every year. Really? For Mother's Day oh my God! Really? I yeah, didn't yeah. know that. When in the early nineties, yeah. we used Cher to watch that movie over and and Christina Ricci and a very young Christina Ricci. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So that was one of that's kind of all. They all live in the same universe. Um, there is. It's perhaps a bit of a boy coming of age, but have you seen the film Boyhood? I love Boyhood. Yeah. I Very love special. Richard Linklater. Yeah. Um, and then there's Tomboy, of course. Tomboy. Celine Siama, a French director. Okay. Have you never seen that? No. Oh my God, it's amazing. 2011, coming of age story about a trans boy. Okay. Um, and oh my God, it's brilliant. And and the way she works with I'm, children. I'm getting flashbacks of kind of having seen seen around it but I haven't seen it Tomboy it's 
called Tomboy, yeah. Okay. Um, and... I'm also thinking now a nice one is um, Etu Mama Tambien. Of course. Of which course. Which is just so cool. I actually watched it recently. <laughs> I need to rewatch that. It's such a great film. It's, it's about a, like it's two boys that, that meet this older woman at a wedding, I think. And yeah. then they sort of convince her to go on a road trip and they go Across on Across Mexico. Road trip. Yeah. 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 So, so great. That's um, Karan, hey? Alfonso Karan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, I have a list of these that's always kind of growing. Um and these are the kind of films that I want to make. I mean, mine is yeah. also kind of a coming of age story that looks that's kind of is about black girlhood. And I, I, in my whatever work I do henceforth is always going to be an exploration of that subject, like the world from the perspective of a young, also black yeah, girl. Yeah. yeah. Do you think you might stay in documentary or do you think you might venture? I'll come back fiction? to documentary. I'll come back. It's just, I've had this particular baby. I want to see how it does. But I also think that we're also living in a time where documentary and is the form is we're so free to change it and alter it. You know, we can come in as writers, as artists. To and I'm, I have a background in journalism. I mean, I studied it. So I did try the traditional three act structure at first. You know, when yeah. we were trying to edit this film, and very quickly knew that this is not. But are, are you going to sound like me? Are you going to stay away from fiction? No, hell no. Okay. I think the, the I am working on a fiction script right now. Yeah. Um, but it's born from this documentary, um, stuff that I couldn't use, but I'm like, oh, this could be a fantastic fictional series. But also there's a film that I'm, that I'm, I've been scribbling for years. It's Lovely. just, I just need to no, revisit scripts. A lot of time, yeah. Um, but of course I've never made a, a fiction film that didn't stop me when I hadn't made a documentary. I'll figure out how to do it. Um, I do definitely i want to stay in this in, the, in this within this field and i think everything that i've done prior to this was almost a rehearsal and a practice for what it means to make films which is extremely collaborative yeah you have to work with different people um you have to understand lighting sound yeah. you know uh script obviously cinematography editing all of i mean i was an editor at the mail and guardian although like a yeah. editor of written stories and so i mean an arts editor and so I definitely will return to it. Although right now I, I really do want to rest for a little bit and figure right. out what does that mean. No, it's important. We've spoken about that. Um, there was an episode with Shannon Ezra, the actress. She said people also are so quick to say, what's next? What's mm, next? And people mm. don't take enough time to to sit sit in it for a little. Yeah, you know, Russell, I'm 38. And enjoy. And I don't have some pace. I want to take some pace and I want to just also focus on my personal life, you know. Yeah. But you know, when you make a work like this, you do have to give everything. I have given no, everything. There's a lot that I sacrificed, you know. What she was also saying in, in terms of acting, sometimes you, 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 you've you dissected your own self so many times and it's the same for, for filmmaking. You have to very authentically put yourself in it. And that's exactly. something I learned in, in even in documentary um, training at, at, at Varsity was just how how much of yourself you put in, whether you've literally put yourself in the film or, or figuratively. And then the mental health um, implications of that. Like, yeah. I mean, me and my team are reeling. Like, it, it has not been easy. Like, there's a lot yeah. of archive in the film that was like, all like a party propaganda archive. And it was like pretty rough to look at that stuff, mentally yeah. speaking. Um, and also just, just just making documentaries is like, sure. you know, it's, it's very difficult. And I, so... I love the fact that you've said that everything has kind of culminated to this. I, I personally feel very similar about doing this podcast. I feel like I've also um, set up the bias, traveled the world, done all these things, just, 
you know, built these relationships with people like, like yourself, where perhaps we don't know each other too well, but I know you well enough. Yeah. And we've got this history that's lasted over 13 years and that I can call you up and yeah. that we can have this conversation. We can have it be recorded. We can have it be shared. Um, and as you said, and perhaps just to kind of wrap things up, because I know you've got to go, look at us now. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, and I think that's so cool that, that, that you've, yeah, that I think you're on the precipice of something very exciting with this film. I think you're at the start of a whole new chapter. Yeah. And I think it's so cool to to just mark this little moment now just to um yeah, to celebrate it, enjoy it. Thank and, you. And and I'm just yeah, I'm so proud of you. Oh, <laughs> from, thank you. From a distance, you know. You know, um, I have to thank Joburg. Guys, This I have to thank the city itself and what what one can become in the city, yeah. you know. And I think the time where we met in 2010, it definitely felt so inspiring. And it was probably yeah. also us at the time yeah. where we were hungry to devour what it could give us. Yeah. And it was exciting to start cinemas and it was exciting to get the column and yeah, yeah, yeah. publish the blogs and now make the products. Make the shops. I even had a shop. You remember me, me, me? Yeah. 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 Remember that shop in Parkhurst? Eesh, there's, a lot that's, <laughs> there's a lot that I've done. It's, it's, but that's so great. And I, I just love, and I've, I've said this to, because I'm now, at, I'm sure you are to having to um, give some advice when you now yes. start seeing youngers. Yeah, you know, we're, we're elders now. We're elders ah, now. No. <laughs> um, and the one thing I can say is like, it's all about relationship and reputation. Yeah. That's literally all we have. Our names. And all we have is our names. You never know who those people are going to, what they're going to become, what they're going to do, when you might need them, when you might call on them. And how you acted 13 years ago, how you held yourself in that moment. People remember. They remember. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you might get an opportunity. <laughs> it's true. It's wild. It's all about relationships. But listen, on that note, I think let's let's uh not have you for too much longer because I know you are so busy and I'm grateful that you made some time. I'm so, so happy that thanks for you, popping you called in. me up and I'm happy that this has now been recorded and it will forever live in time this Love moment. You. So thank you so much, Russell. All right. Cheers. Bye. Lovely. Okay. Uh, story is uh, a little more quiet now. We can get back into it. We can talk about Asteroid City. Um, <laughs> I hate to, I hate to uh, be negative about it. Because hmm. yeah, um, that's what disappointment feels like, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you don't want to be the negative person. But at the same time, I think like, it's a case to acknowledge that films may be disappointed. And that's the experience of watching it, right? It disappoints me now. Maybe on a second watch, I'll get it more because yeah. you're but that's not acting not on that feeling. Sure, maybe, maybe, but that's not what filmmaking is. Filmmaking's got to got to come over and give you a big hug, oh, or totally. it's got to give you a big slap, or it's got to give you a big invigoration for life. And this one just left me a bit cold. So, w- what I wanted to say is that when, because we spoke earlier this morning about um, how he's got such a clear. Uh, visual style yeah that the question now becomes it's a little bit like a band you've got this very particular sound and so the question is a creative as you go yeah because you this is as we said we're not even sure how many films he's done yeah it's like where do you go how do you evolve that 
Do you lean in? Do you venture out? Like, what do you do? And we... Because like, producers I, will I, want I him to be Wes, right? Very yeah. simply, I thought this film just lacked soul. It lacked heart. It lacked stakes. It lacked a story that, 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 that took it past its very cool aesthetic. Yes. Because it looked spectacular. You got the world's greatest actors in it because he's now at that point where he can mm-hmm. get everybody to be in a Wes Anderson film. Right. Super kooky, design, color grading, everything's awesome. But it's like, do we give a shit? And it had me think back to Life Aquatic where you care about this father-son relationship. Yes. Um, life, uh, uh, so many of them, like even, even um, Grand Budapest, like... It's endearing. There's, 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 there's love. There's, there's a heart to it. Because you're watching those characters in those movies deal with more, a more tangible problem, right? I think this was about the collision of all these people in this like, little dorpy on the way to, in the middle of nowhere on the way to a bigger town. Yeah. But I think that Wes Anderson's thing has always been the quirkiness of his dialogue and style mm. contrasted with this melancholic atmosphere. But yeah, which this life. this really it, it does kind of double down on that because it's a it's a movie about grief. Yeah, like that's its like central thing is grief. Yes, you know, and when you, I think a lot of the things that you're saying aren't they kind of are they? Okay, but they're very obfuscated by okay, that's a nice word. Yes, by what is this, what, what does that mean? Sorry, it's like hidden. Yeah, it's like you okay. can't see it past something else. Yes, yeah. So yeah maybe I was just going in, as you said. Okay, I, I accept your no, point. Maybe totally. I was just going in a little too excited, and wasn't. He, wasn't he, yeah, but, but I mean, wrong. your point is yeah, exactly. The thing is, they're so like obscured by this, like even like the the framing device is like multi layered. It's like so, it's a like, framing the device within the framing it, device. I was like, oh, it's not just a play that we're watching. Yes, we're watching a, a like recreation of the play on. But then you realize, oh, it starts in a television program. Yeah, that's the thing. Brian Cranston is like the narrator and he announces it. It's a television broadcast of a play. Yes. And we're seeing parts of the broadcast. We're seeing parts of the play all in this framing device for a fictional movie. So can we acknowledge at this point how pretentious that sounds? No, totally. (laughs) And I think it gets gets lost. It's a little bit much. Totally. It, It kind of feels like it gets lost trying to do that thing. Yes. And it's it's not as much about the characters in the play mm. as it is about that broader story, yeah. right? And Graham and I were when we left um, the screening, we were t- trying to figure it out in the parking lot. And yes. Then Graham sent me a review by a guy called David Ehrlich, who's an incredible film critic. But I, I like almost never agree with his yes. comments <laughs> and movies, but I love reading his reviews. Yeah. Um. So I'd highly, he writes for IndieWire a lot. So I'd love yeah. highly recommend people check out his reviews. But do you want to tell the people like what his thoughts were? Oh Lord, can I even remember? Yeah, it was like more than a week ago now. But what did you take away from it? Um, essentially, he he managed to like at least subjectively kind of see through all the things that we're saying are getting in the way. Okay, you know, like for instance, a big thing that I'm pretty sure it was his review where he says there's the moment where um, Jason Schwartzman's character, the character within the character within the character, yes, says something along the lines like, "I don't know what it's about." Yes. You know, and to an extent, you kind of feel like, oh, he's talking to us as the audience. Like, it's almost Wes Anderson is saying, I don't know what this movie's actually about. Yes. But at the same time, which is true, I think, there mm. is a part of that. But at the same time, within like the meta narrative, what the character is saying is, I don't know what life is about. Yes. Within the grief 
of his dead wife. Yes. He doesn't know what life is about There's now. a purposelessness yes. to his existence. You know? right? And again, the problem here is that all of these things are so obfuscated by, yeah. you know, again, metatext and, and all these things yeah, that are it's, it's, just getting in the way. And look, Wes Anderson has never been afraid to indulge at the expense of the audience. Totally. Yeah, well, I was about to say, yeah, at that point, you can realize, like, this is not going to do well as a film. No. It's not, it's not necessarily going to be... Um, this kind of financial success. It's not going to break him out of any kind of mold. Um, so if he wants to purposefully stay in that, then like... Yeah, I think it is very intentional. I don't think anything Did, here is accidental. Okay. You know? All right. if, if, if anything comes to you, shot. But yeah. I think let's maybe move on because, you know, we don't want to harbor in too much about it. But let... I mean, for the folks at home, like, just let us know what you think of it. Yeah. Um, because people are going to go out and watch it. Like, certain diehard fans like ourselves... If we hadn't been given this like special preview screening, like we probably would have been yeah. there this weekend. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, curious to see what people think. Mm. But I, mm. I personally, I felt like he dialed it in. Right. And and perhaps on a second watch, I'd realize the nuances and and see what 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 sort of more yeah thought went into it. But it, it felt boring, and it felt like he dialed it in. It mm. felt like it felt like he was an AI generated yeah movie of his own style. Yeah. To I be think honest, if I, I'm being brutally. Being a bit brutal there, but it yeah. felt like that. Because it's totally fine for movies to be deliberately inscrutable. Yes. Right? Like, we praise Stanley Kubrick for it all the time. Exactly. But it has to be kind of, like, reinforced by, like, clear themes or clear concepts or clear character there arcs. There has to be something for you to hold you know? on to. That's yeah. what I was pushing for. I, d- I don't... Th- you know, I don't think I don't think he phoned it in. I think, like, aesthetically, it's very comfortable with what he does. But I think in terms of, like, the writing and the subtext, it's more layered than the stuff he's done before, but to an extent where it makes it difficult to penetrate. Yeah. No, you know? that yeah. Right. That's it ends right. up That's feeling really boring. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the things that we did enjoy. Mm. Yeah. So I think we're talking about AI's, um, Wes Anderson's AI-generated aesthetic, right, that mm-hmm. we've been seeing online because mm-hmm. these styles become so recognizable that people are kind of using that as a vehicle. Yeah. And it's becoming really alarming how good AI-generated images is becoming. We yeah. don't have to get into the gray area of the ethics of like yeah, yeah. why the, those tools are problematic. But the first Black Mirror episode dials into this quite a bit. Right. Okay. Oh, is there an AI theme? There is an AI theme. Okay, I haven't finished it. it okay. so, so this is the new season of Black Mirror, season six now, and it's four new films? I think it's five. Five films. The first one of which is called Jonah's Awful. Yes. Which um, so far I'm still stuck in the in the concept in the premise. I haven't finished the episode yet, um, but it's it looks very cool. This woman, mm. have you seen, have you heard the no? The, so the premise is this it. woman sort of lives out this day. Things happen, but at the end of the night, um, when scrolling through um, what's effectively Netflix, it's called Stru- Streamberry. Streamberry. Right. Uh, she comes across a film or a series. Of a character that looks that's named after her that looks like her and right. is played and by is, Salma Hayek and and this episode starts with everything that happened that day right so it's like her whole day gets played out yes. everybody around her knows who knows her like is watching this episode of her right and then basically in the show mm. her life and the things that you see happen throughout the day you think are a bit innocuous but yes. when you watch in the context of the show she seems like a total bitch. Right. And then even the secrets that she's keeping from her boyfriend, yeah. who she's watching the show with, are unveiled right. to the entire world. And it's a pretty interesting thing to like contemplate um, 
how would we feel about every single moments of our day being played out for everyone we know yes in our neighborhood our friends and our families and would we be okay with that do we think are we acting like a good person down day but it's not really about that mm. it's it gets into um like the corporate interest in ai generated video uh, okay. and it's i'm not giving away too much of spoilers here <laughs> yeah. but um essentially i don't know if you remember there was that rumor online that bruce willis had that disease that yes. he got I, I can't remember what it was but he was going to sell the rights to his image yes. to ai generators so yeah. that they could create his likeness yeah. in videos right mm. um and then it was a hoax it was bullshit so i yeah. don't know why that came up but then basically selma hike in this episode playing selma hike did this right. with streamberry gave her rights away to be ai generated okay and this episode is an AI generated episode that watches using your phone surveillance services right. what you're doing down day uh, oh, for the whole wow. world to see. Okay. <gasps> and the basic thing is that you didn't read the terms and conditions to Streamberry when yeah. you signed up and you gave them full license to recreate your life. Wow. Um, so they're basically doing what South Park did with the human sense iPad episode. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, we, we, yeah. the yeah. whole thing was you didn't read all the terms and conditions of, exactly. of iTunes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's an interesting idea. Like one, you don't read the terms and conditions. Um, but second, what's um, personalized content going to look like? What's the most engaging content? And they're very interesting ideas that they play with there. And okay. I, think, I think what makes Black Mirror so special is that it's this kind of look to the near future. So almost every, for those who don't know, Black Mirror is an anthology series. So every episode is a different story that sits entirely on its own, effectively like it's its, its own film. But each one looks at the sort of near future in some kind of dystopian way. Most of the time it's dystopian. Yes. Where it's like, this is what is possible and every single episode is super haunting because it's kind of real and kind of already happening and it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. That's but weird. that's what's cool about science fiction, right? I yeah. think the guys that were doing it in the early 20th century, mm. Arthur C. Clarke's and the Philip K. Dick's, yeah. kind of, I'm not that good yeah, to yeah. remember the rest, <laughs> but they were projecting like technology way ahead into the but future. Even like Orwell, you know. George Orwell, 1984, that was, that was no, sci-fi. Totally. I mean, but he, like, was, he was writing that 40, 50 years ahead. Yeah. Predicting what kind of is happening. Exactly. But that's the thing that it does. It like these authors with these vast imaginations put this technology forward into our worlds and like say, what is going to happen to us? Is it good or is it bad? Yeah. And Black Mirror is doing that thing again, which makes it great sci-fi. Like yeah. sci-fi like Star Wars is fun. Yeah. Right. It's entertaining. But very fantastical like, and exactly you know, ridiculous um, but sci-fi like this does the good job of saying like should you be as comfortable with the technology that you have right now what, yeah. what was are? the what was the Tom Cruise Steven Spielberg Colin Farrell uh, Minority Report Minority Report and that was a, I remember at the time all the featurettes were talking about how they had consultations with all sort of like advanced sort of scientists mm. and people predicting exactly how that kind of near future would be and it's already happening in so many ways. Like when he walks into that shop, he he gets that customized voice message to him, yeah. dressing him. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's happening. <laughs> it's exactly what's happening. Wild. When you um, get personalized <laughs> advertising on Instagram. Yeah. Speaking of a little bit of sci-fi, I watched a, a delightful film last night yeah. called The Space Between. Um, it has got a- Asa Butterfield in it. Um but the, the Space Between Us is on Netflix, 
but it's just yeah the space between us and um it's a lovely film it's super it's super solid like it's really well made and if it was released when we were kids like it would be a, a complete classic but now it's just amongst everything else that comes out <laughs> and i feel like it's going to get perhaps a bit lost but he the basic premise is um near future where there is a mission to mars and these guys are going to now stay on Mars in this kind of colony. And as they are traveling over, it's realized that the lead uh, astronaut, this woman, is pregnant. So she's not going to give birth on Mars. So she, she unfortunately passes away, but the boy grows up on Mars. And he wants to find out more about his dad, home, Earth. He forges a connection with this young girl, someone his age, on earth they chat it's a it's kind of a little teen love story so it's kind of it's it's you know it's perhaps not necessarily aimed directly at me as someone in their late 30s but i just appreciated how well made it was like there was no point there was no point where i felt like okay this is a bit silly it all felt very real and very possible how he kind of integrates and comes back to earth but the problem is his organs can't survive on our atmosphere Mm. But he is going on this kind of road trip with this girl. Um, they're in love. So it's this kind of very genuine, beautiful, like teen love. Oh, no. Great soundtrack. <laughs> just beautifully made, like just solid. I thought it was just such a solid movie. There's no other way to describe it. But it was just well acted, well mm-hmm. done. That sounds really, really interesting. I, um, there were a few things I wanted to say there. When you said one, that kids movie, if we were kids, it would become an instant classic. I want to know what those were for you guys. Yeah. Um, those like family movies. And secondly, did you ever watch Mission to Mars with Tim Robbins? Yes. Right? So it was yeah. called Mission to Mars. Yeah. Gary, Gary Oldman was in it? Was he? There I was, so. I think it was like, it might have been Ed Harris. I'm not sure. Yeah. There was a scene that stuck in my mind. I was young, too young to watch it, but when they were in space and he took his helmet off to sacrifice himself and he was like frozen in the vacuum of space. Uh, yeah. Am I right? Yeah. And they meet aliens at the end? Yeah, and that sort of white white space. They yes. talk to the aliens. You and know? they meet, um, yeah, they meet the Martians. But like, perhaps like a movie like Contact. Okay. You know, those uh, like, you know, those like just solid twister. You know, those movies that we grew up with where it was like, this is such a, like I get it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it all comes down to character, that character story and what they're experiencing as yeah. the boy that comes back to Earth yeah. And his organs can't handle the gravity. Yeah, whatever. It's, it sounds you very, know? it sounds very like young adult teen, but it it just had so much more genuineness to it. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. No, this is a nice movie to watch. Um, Did you guys ever see um, Apollo Ten and a Half? I've heard about it, and that's I've heard cool. it was considered one of the best movies of last year. What? It's yeah. very cool. It's I a Richard Linklater movie. It's Richard Linklater. Yeah, it's his latest movie. Wow, it's, okay, it's an animated film. Yeah, it's like his the rotoscoping style oh, thing that he yes. like he did in Scanner Darkly. Yes, but it's about it's set in like the the late sixties, and it's about NASA acted through like a mathematical miscalculation makes the Apollo like lander thing slightly too small. Okay. They make it just a little bit too small. But they're like, okay, this thing's too expensive. We have to test this thing out. So we have to get a kid. We have to get a child to test this thing out and a child to land on the moon. Ridiculous. Yeah. But it's like that's like a surprisingly small part of the movie. It's mostly like a kind of somewhat um biopic about Richard Richard Linklater growing up in Houston in the late sixties. 
that's like what most of the movie is about. It's growing up in Houston in the late 60s. Interesting. Because his dad like worked for NASA and like it's basically a version of his family. It's sort of like what Spielberg did with the Fablemans, but with this kind of like fantastical framing device. Oh, that's cool. And it's, it's, it's kind of nowhere, right? Where, where does one watch it? It's Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. Is it on Netflix? No. Now you see, this is the thing. The fucking algorithms. Yeah, it doesn't show the stuff that you... That. <laughs> yeah. But, but if Netflix really knows me, they would know I would want to watch a Richard Linklater film. Yeah, I hope you're listening, Netflix. <laughs> do you yeah. know what you need to do, funny enough, is you've got to do the I like this, I don't like this. That little uh, thumbs up yes. thing. You actually have to... You have to do that. But I think I need to get separate uh, accounts with Leslie. Leslie's... I know. Leslie's Don't changing join my, accounts with your, she's with changing, your partner. She's changing my <laughs> algorithms. She's burying Linklater in amongst my, a firefly lane and like... <laughs> my friend that um, I started a band with and he composed the score to Graham and I, our short films at After. Yes. Um, we have a collaborative playlist on Spotify okay. and he shares Spotify with his wife. And usually our music tastes are like perfectly aligned. Yeah. So it'll be like fusion jazz with like prog metal mixed in. And usually it's just like amazing. But then every now and then there's like Ariana Grande in my playlist <laughs> with Grant. And I'm like, no, don't share your accounts with your wives, guys. Come on. Um, something we are watching together, which is a little bit of a guilty pleasure, um, is How I Met Your Father, which is okay. on... Um, Disney Plus. Okay. Right. And the only reason I think I'm accepting this <laughs> is because I watched How I Met Your Mother. Uh, okay. Like that played into me as a so consuming a lot of stuff. Like, what was it, 10 years ago? Uh, yeah. No idea. I was, was like, it was a long time ago. High and of school course, into university. Yeah. I, was, I remember, yeah, living, living with, moving out of home. Um, so it was, yeah, second half of varsity, uh, early work time. And, mm -hmm. It was the f one of the first TV shows similar to Scrubs where where you come to love these guys like your friends. Nice. Um, very simple, very silly, you know. And so when you watch um, How I Met Your Father, you're like, okay, this is a little outdated as a concept, this kind of closed-off sitcom. Mm, right. And there are a couple of episodes where you're like, this is very cheesy writing. Like, this is baseline TV know, writing. Yeah. Like, it could be so much. Like, we, we accept such smarter writing nowadays right. where there's not just one plot line going on, you know, where there's multiple oh. plot lines. Like if you watch something like, um, like Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Schitt's Creek had a lot going on. It's usually the stuff that's shot on locations, right. mm. you know, um, where these kind of closed off sitcom shows kind of feel like very baseline, right. but it is yeah. kind of endearing. Mm -hmm. It is kind of fun. It's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not the greatest. It's it's um, definitely better than Fubar. <laughs> I started watching Fubar, which yeah. is the new um, Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Mm. I series. mean, series. Yeah. yeah, on Netflix. And basically, the back of the box for it is that he's. It's kind of like on a meta level, a sequel to all of his '80s movies, where he right. was the action star that did all these things. But in the film, he's a CIA agent that's retiring. Right. He's on his last mission, and then he's brought back out of retirement to. Uh, work this one case that he did during his career and he finds out that his perfect daughter right. is actually another CIA agent undercover uh, and she's been lying to him uh, his whole life. Right. So it's like turns into that comedy of errors thing that his action movies do. So it's like a reverse true lies. Yes, okay. exactly that. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's just, it kind of feels like in the translation of from script to screen, mm. they want to do something quirky. Yes. It's like quirky action. Yeah. 
uh, with a lot of comedy and a quirky task team like Mission Impossible. But they're not nailing the balance and tone well enough and it's just coming off as like not well delivered and cheesy and contrived comedy. Right. So I, yeah, I've watched half the second episode. I don't think I'm going to pick it up because I think Arnie's acting is just... I didn't, I couldn't finish it. It's past the point of its, um, I don't know... (laughs) <laughs> uh, like in the 80s it might have been like acceptable like yeah. in that 90s like the Super Mario Brothers tone thing yes. that we were talking about earlier that yeah. it's 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 this weird 90s space of it being goofy and fun and you mm. kind of accept Arnie in that space of going put the cookie down yeah. now you know it's like funny then Batman but and now, Robin it's like yeah. no the joke's over you watched the extraction films I did I did I saw that are extraction they, uh, release on Friday are they worth it I think that I would rather watch John Wick um, so the important note here is both of those series, Extraction and John Wick, are directed by guys who used to be stunt coordinators. Yeah. Okay. That are now directors. Yeah. Okay. And that makes the action really fucking good. Mm. It's yeah. really well done action, right? Like yeah. but John Wick realizes that the motivation for this or the excuse for this film to exist is as unnecessary or it doesn't really matter. We don't care why the character has a motivation to go on a revenge rampage, right? Yeah. So John Wick makes it as ridiculous as a puppy is murdered, right? Yeah. And then he goes off and murders. And then it gets into this entire crime world with the high table that has a very strict set of rules that yeah. he's defying and he's turning the world against himself. And it just becomes this excuse to have like 20 minute long okay. punching scenes. Where extraction. <laughs> Where extraction takes itself far too seriously and it tries to do the very dramatic burdened hypermasculine Chris Hemsworth um, whose child died and now he has to save a child Um, and they like when the contract remains unpaid in this movie he has to do an extraction for a child that's the son of a drug dealer that was kidnapped by another drug dealer okay he has to go in and save this child right okay Um, and the the gimmick of the movie is that the extraction scene itself is one uninterrupted take Obviously, which is hidden and fake. Yeah. But in the first film, it was 17 minutes long. Yes. The action sequence. And it is the best part of the movie. And Mm. it is undeniably amazing. Like in the second one as well, it's way more ambitious. But much like a Wes Anderson film. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Doesn't have much fucking story or heart. So that's the problem with it, right? Is that in the first movie where, and it's not a spoiler, the contract is unpaid. It's very complicated and I won't get into it now. But... They say dump the kid because that's the job, right? Like they yeah. haven't paid us. You don't need to extract the kid, get out of their life kind of thing. Right. And he needs a reason to stay. So uh, they cut to a flashback of his child running on the beach. Uh, and you're like, oh, okay. okay, 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 cool, shame. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it's, a, it's a little bit pathetic. So, 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 so the way in which you don't trust these cuts or are let down by the construction of this film yeah. as a whole is the very reason why I loved The Space Between, is that it felt perfectly constructed. Okay. So it was a house that we know, I kind of predicted most of the plot points. That's not the point. It was perhaps cookie cutter, but it was a well-made cookie. Yeah. Does that make sense? (laughs) It is. So every part of it felt genuine. (laughs) Yes. How this could have happened. What he would be like if he grew up on Mars and had never gone yeah. to Earth. When he did come to Earth, it wasn't 
wasn't like, okay, mm. this is a plot point to drive this forward. It was like, this feels real. This is how like I, I care. I, I care. care. This okay. is it's just well constructed. Amazing. That's, That's what I'm trying really to say comparison. By, you know. by solid. Cool. Amazing. I love that comparison because you don't care watching this male fantasy. It's like a male first person shooter fantasy. Uh, yeah. it, it, this film serves just as an excuse to have that one action, mm. one shot action sequence. And it is amazing. Like, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. lie. It's incredible action. Cool for your couch. Yeah, cool for your couch. Cool for your couch. That should be a sticker, us. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I we just, put on I our just coined that now. Cool for your couch. Yeah. Do you know what else is cool for your couch? Mm. That just kind of rolls off the tongue of it. Um, also, the point I want to make was, do you know who also makes these really well-crafted drama comedies? Yeah. Is the is those, like, good British films that, that, that come out. Um, how do I put it? Like, you feel like America just pumps out yeah. so much content. Oh, yeah. Where the films from Britain that really kind of manage to escape Britain, come out to the rest of the world, seem to, at least in my head, be, like, very well made, especially the ones that have, like, Emma Thompson. And, uh, like... Okay. Um, it's like the, Death at a Funeral. Or yeah. It's just, Notting like, Hill, it's, it's less... It's, it's just less... It's not as much as America, but it's of a better quality. Does that make sense? Mm. It does. I think that's a bit of a silly rant, but you know what I'm saying. There's a film called What's Love Got to Do With It, which is now on iTunes Store and uh, DSTV box office. And it's it's great. It's uh, Lily James, who we know from yesterday, and she was Pam and Anderson and Pam and Tommy. Uh, yeah. Almost unrecognizable baby driver. Um, she... Uh, is a documentary filmmaker and she's looking for her next film and her childhood friend who's this um, Muslim guy who's her neighbor um, is is willing and choosing to go into an arranged marriage and she thinks that's interesting so she films him and so it's all about her making this documentary about her friend going into this um, arranged marriage oh, okay. but of course you secretly know that they're kind of like each yes. other and they should be together and <laughs> interesting and it's, it's, it's great it's a great film okay okay so it's also well put together also just well constructed great characters make sense solid solid film mm. another film that came out like that in the 90s which like weirdly enough was nominated for best motion picture was The Full Monty Yes. Oh, yes. Yo, That's what I'm talk- this is what I'm talking about. Yes. Is that the ones that like, mm, yeah, they come out every, not, they're, not, they're not as much as the Americans. It's a little bit like the occasional Australian film. Like yes. when, it's, when it breaks out of that mold, it's, it's such a good it film. It feels like and it's so something Full Monty, brand new. Yeah. So Full Monty was that, that movie that I'm kind of talking about. And out of nowhere, <laughs> out of flipping nowhere, this week... A sequel series to the Full Monty movie released, right. where these guys are all thirty years older, and they're still working class Englishmen. Yeah, same characters, same characters. Oh, same uh, guy, like same, the actors. same, all the same guys that are part of the Full Monty crew. Oh. And now, with a whole cast of younger actors being all their kids, hmm. are now facing the problems of still being working class people. Yeah, and what challenges have they faced? And it's also this kind of thing where it's not remarkable in any sort of unique special way but every single episode i come back and i carry on watching because they understand why we care as audience members and i just want to carry on watching what happens to these old guys it's like the jamaican dude um is a wheelchair bound well not wheelchair bound he has to use a little electric scooter to get around places 
um, but he has to apply to get a new review done. Otherwise, his medical aid support from the NHS is going to be cut off. Right. So they get into why this is ridiculous because he has to go drive two hours to the next town, but he can't afford a bus ticket to go yeah. that far on his scooter and he lasts 20 minutes. But it just shows right. you how well-crafted those characters were from that film. Exactly. Well-rounded, There was well a defined. universe that was created that was just so well-realized that you could expand on it. Mm. Exactly. And you wanted to know where they ended up, where they headed up. Exactly. Interesting that there's going to now be a series yeah. for Full Monty and that's going to be on? It's on Disney Plus. It's on it's Disney Plus already. Yeah. Do you know what is an interesting, weird spinoff is um, there is now a reality TV show for Squid Games. It's going <laughs> to come in November. It's, it's called Squid Game The Challenge. Why not? Oh. Where real life people are going to do the, the challenges of Squid Game. Mr. Beast already did it. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well. That is crazy. <laughs> ages ago. No, Interesting. And Netflix are like, oh, we need to yeah. get, a, get a piece of this pie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, something coming out, which is perhaps the last thing we can chat about, um, which is a trailer for an upcoming Netflix film. It's going to be mm. in July. It looks fucking amazing. <laughs> it's a film called They Clone Tyrone. Right. It looks, here's the premise. It looks like it's straight out of like a 70s black exploitation film. Yeah. So like pimps and hoes. Uh, Jamie Foxx, um, John Boyega cool. looks great. And it kind of looks like this 70s sort of superfly world is existing in, in almost like this kind of artificial place. Like they discover there's the secret laboratory that seems to be like cloning people. So it's almost like a black exploitation film meets Stranger Things. Uh, Whoa. Um, no, it looks really good. And, you know, you just see so many of these like upcoming trailers that also desensitizes you where sometimes they all kind of feel and look the same. No, mm. totally. But this one just looks really interesting. Cool. So it looks refreshing. There's something completely you, new. Graham uses the expression all the time of like, you know, I love a good swing. Yes. Um, even if it misses. Yeah. <laughs> but this looks like a big swing. Cool. And it looks interesting. That's interesting. They also clone cool Tyrone. Yeah. Um, all right. Duties. Mm. I think it's been a great day. Yeah. Hey? Yeah. We're happy. I think, uh, think we've got to uh, get on home. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for the day. Yeah. Thanks for everything. It's nice chat. Um, all right. Uh, we are the video store. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't know already, you can go to the videostore.co.za. Um, and you can use that to share the love and please tell other folks about it. Um, what really means a lot is is a rating and a review. So if you do have it in your heart, or if you're feeling a bit generous, or if you've got time, <laughs> you're not driving, um, please give us a, a, a rating and leave a review. That means a lot. Um, thanks again to everyone who came out for our video store presents night yeah. this last weekend. It was lovely hanging out with you and we're going to do it again real soon. We've got to start picking the film. Mm. We'll find a nice one for July. Uh, but yeah, thanks very much. And we will see you again next week. Bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye.